This is On the Line. From the capstone to the plains, in-depth coverage, opinions, and analysis of the most heated rivalry in all of sports, all things Alabama and Auburn are right here. Now, you're on the line with Noah Gardner and Jeremy Law. with Noah Gardner and Jeremy Law on AU100 Kicks 96.3 and Fox Sports Central Alabama here on your Saturday morning at 10 a.m. or on demand on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Jeremy, how you doing today, man? Your, your, your quarantine's up. Much better than last week, my friend. I am ready to go. I am energized, ready to watch Alabama Put it on the LSU Tigers tonight, starting at seven o'clock. How are you doing, my friend? I know you've had a, you've suffered a couple of tough losses this week. I have, and I'm upset that you mentioned the second one. It's well documented. I am an Auburn High School alum and heartbroken about what happened in the state championship game on Wednesday night, and I really don't want to touch on it too much. My biggest gripe about it right now is how many people out there are bashing and making fun of what happened. These are high school kids, man. Like, And I'm not calling out Scott Van Pelt because he's one of my favorite guys in the business, but how is that the best thing that you had seen that day, right? If anything, that's the, and, I, and I know that I would be supporting Auburn High School in that, in that stance, so I understand why, to me, that's the worst thing that I had seen that day. But even as an objective person, you got to understand, Auburn had never won a state championship. And then you go on and you you basically – it kind of just perpetuates people making fun of it. And I don't think that's right. These are high school kids, and, and there's sheer agony in losing a ball game that way. And, and they should be – you know, they should be applauded for the kind of year they had and what they brought to the community and, and what has been a really dark last – seven, eight months, right? I mean, they have been an inspiring group to keep up with. And I remember early in the season, I said to you very, very quickly this year, I said, this team's got a quarterback and this team can go far. They, they can win a state title, especially after we saw some of what they were able to do early and how Central was struggling early. This team went as far as I thought they would. And so I, I'm proud of that group. And I, and I just hate how much negativity uh, I've seen on, on social media and whatnot. Yeah, as bad as it was for Auburn, as good as it was for Thompson. But even just watching the game, I actually sucked it up and subscribed to the NFHS because I've been in quarantine, so I need something to watch during the day. And just watching the game and watching the the uh, directors and the producers like zoom in on the Auburn players at the end, like show the show the Thompson guys. Like this is high school ball. We don't need to see you know the sixteen year old with his head down in the grass you know, crying and in tears and probably rightfully so for himself. Just show us the show us Jake Gaines, show us Thompson, show us Mark Freeman. I kind of thought that the everything around the game was I know you can't be you can't act like it didn't happen, but I think a lot of people were focusing on what Auburn did down the stretch as opposed to what Thompson was able to do down the stretch. And they focused more on the I quote unquote failure of Auburn than they did on the successes of Thompson in that situation. And for me, that takes away from Thompson. And it also will just adds some extra negative spotlight on a team that I guarantee you feels bad enough. Love that team. I love that school. And I'm going to defend it all the way. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let people um, make fun of it. I mean, it's just, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't think it's right. I understand, you know, people talking about the Atlanta Falcons 
choking away leads every week. And I understand people talking about it, even to a degree at the collegiate level, because that, that you've reached adulthood at that point. I mean, you're, you're, you're no longer a minor at any point, but we're talking about kids playing high school football and 99% of them won't even touch the field again. And so that's, that's what's heartbreaking about it, but an inspiring season for Auburn high school. And I'm super proud of them. And I'm, and I'm pumped for, for years to come as always for what's been a very good program at seven, a football, but let's get away from that. And I want to open up the show talking about something a little bit off base here. I think this is going to be an interesting discussion between you and I, because we've talked about it a little bit in the past. I don't know if you saw the ESPN article recently talking about how the night group recommended the FBS split from the NCAA now now this night group it is a it is a group that does studies and and closely watches collegiate athletics and like higher education athletics and recommends things and and it's not like it's an official it's not like it's an official recommendation to the NCAA or that these schools have to do this or that it holds really any weight it's just really basically an opinion an educated opinion and their educated opinion is that the FBS, for football only, not for basketball or any other sport, but for football only, which is what FBS is, for them to split off from the NCAA and govern themselves. We've seen degrees of this in conversations where people have said the Power Five should split away. The night group suggesting that the entire FBS division should slip away. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, Well, I've always been a proponent of the Power Five slipping away because, you know, UAB is in the FBS. And as much as you want to say that they're playing big boy football, they're not. These teams like, uh, just think about this, Cincinnati and BYU could run the table this year and they're still not going to make the college football playoff. They're not competing for the same things that a lot of these teams are competing for. Now, a lot of people say, Jeremy, well, is Vanderbilt competing for the same thing that Alabama's competing for. And while they're really not, if Vanderbilt went undefeated in SEC play, guess where they would be? They would be in the college football playoff. The same thing can be said about Rutgers and the same thing can be said about Indiana, Kansas. Iowa State. Exactly. If they go undefeated in their Power 5 league, they will be in the college football playoff competing for a college football playoff national championship. Your Cincinnati's, your Boise's, your BYU's, your UAB's, your Troy's, your USA's. Although they're in the in the FBS, they are not competing for the same thing that these Power Five schools are competing for. And I would even take it a step farther. I would say the FBS, the Group of Five, could step away and have its own league, and maybe they want to stay inside of NCAA rules and regulations. But the Alabamas, the SECs, the Big Tens, the Big Twelves, the Pac-10, the ACC, they're they're not playing the same game. Does that make sense? The game is not the same. It's well, on not cultural lines, they're already separate, right? I mean, exactly. you probably know many people that went to Jacksonville State or UAB or South Alabama. I mean, you and I both know somebody who went to South Alabama who has another favorite team, right? That is chosen their has chosen their side in the Iron Bowl rivalry between Auburn and Alabama, right? So even cultural lines separate the two and we all know as you've already pointed out that your UABs your South Alabamas your Jacksonville States if they were in FBS would not play for the college football playoff if they didn't go undefeated in a power five conference right we all know that they wouldn't make it there because that's 
what's been proven to us with this college football playoff committee we've we've yet to see someone get in and the only team that maybe could have even said hey we could that that the only team up to this point that even has came close is UCF nobody else has has even gotten close because nobody else has had an undefeated season that's even been worthy of justification for it but it's already kind of split and so I was thinking in my head a moment ago when you were saying that like well what if the FBS split away from the NCAA and made their own college football division and then underneath that it was split and then the group of five essentially becomes the FCS of the FBS right but that's already happened that way so I I I don't know if you need to actually officially say that I think we're okay where we're at no but the the group of five teams they don't they don't compete for anything yeah. They win their conference and they move on, and that's the problem. Is so you're saying they should have their own playoff? Yeah, like the F, the Power Five should segment off, and maybe the Power Five and the Group of Five are governed by the same governing body, but they are not. They need something to play for, and I think a lot of those coaches, the South Alabamas and the Troys and all these people, the the smaller schools, the Boise. Just think about it, if Boise State could have won a national title and their run in the the mid-2000s right there until about 2011, 2012, 2013. How many national titles would Boise State have won if they weren't trying to beat Florida and Alabama and competing with those guys to get into a BCS championship game if they they could have been governed by a body that says these are the rules that we play by and this is our championship, why would they not want to go win one? The bigger problem that I see – with how college football is set up right now is just think about this in college football. I'm talking from D two all the way to your Ohio States. They, they are, they are, they have to obey and abide by the same rules when those rules, it, when they're not really playing the same game, I'm not talking about rules inside of the game, but you're about talking, financially. I know what you're saying. Pay for play. Not, not really pay for play, but why, why would Ohio States and Michigan's, why should they have to worry about the opinion of sheeps when they are the lions in the game? You know what I'm saying? They are. Why, why should they be trying to play the same game that coastal Carolinas take it a step farther back that North Dakota state North Dakota State is competing. That those rules, why are they having to deal with the same rules and deal with a governing body who views Michigan as equal to North Dakota State when we all know that they're not, and when we stop telling ourselves this narrative that they are? I think you'll really see some progress made inside of this Power Five window of college football, and there is a lot of progress that needs to be made. Something interesting to think about here, and we discussed this during about August, July area when we started hearing conferences say we're not playing football this year and the FCS bowed out, right? And the FCS now talk about playing in the spring, which I think is a brilliant idea for the FCS under our current structure because what has the XFL done? The XFL has said, look, we can't compete with the NFL and they shouldn't even try to. They would get destroyed in ratings and they would never succeed. It would flounder. So they've moved to the spring when they play. That's brilliant because – People love football, and they would take it year-round if they could, right? And guess what? The XFL was mildly successful at the beginning of this calendar year before the coronavirus took it down. If the coronavirus had not occurred, we have XFL year two, more than likely. 
And it's nothing like what happened with the AAF or whatever that was called, because that was a train wreck. That didn't even finish its first year. There was actual success occurring with the XFL. I don't know if in this hypothetical situation that we're talking about, if the group of five were to break away from the power five, if they would have success moving into the spring, maybe it would be better if they played in the spring as opposed to playing in the fall, because if they were to split, nobody wants to talk about their championship race. Everybody would want to talk about the power five championship race, but then we get into a whole nother world of problems because your Alabama's, your Auburn's, your other SEC schools, we lose our cupcake games, and we don't want to lose our cupcake games. I think you could still play those games. What's the in the fall not, though? Even nobody, though they're not in season playing, that's that's my thing. They're not oh, in season. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Now, but you you're still going to have potentially uh, the smaller Power Fives, the F's. There's a whole bunch of teams out there to play. But and I, and I see your problem with that. If they're out of season, I don't think we should be playing those games anyways. I don't like those cupcake games. Play 10, 10, play 10 SEC games. What's the problem? You can eliminate the six wins for a bowl game because you'll need more teams for bowl games. I get it. But uh, these smaller games, they need to go away anyways because those teams, they're at such a negative disadvantage. Now, those programs may cease to exist because they're not going to get the money from the bigger Power 5 schools. But you see these teams are at such a disadvantage. Yeah, their players aren't as good, but financially they can't compete with a lot of these teams that they're they're that they're being forced to play inside of how college football is currently set up. And I'm, not, I'm not talking about recreating the wheel, Noah. I'm talking about just doing something that makes sense. Did you realize that 80% of the college football playoff revenue went to Power 5 schools? Only 20% made it down to the group of five. That's... Look at TV deals, right? I mean, TV deals and the whole nine yards. Like only $80 million got spread out between 70 group of five schools. 300 and something million dollars went to power five schools. Well, look at it this way. Even ESPN Plus's existence. Now we're getting to a little bit more broadcast financial and economic situations. But ESPN Plus was created for these group of five schools, right? I mean, most of the games that are broadcast on ESPN Plus are group of five games. That couldn't succeed. That subscription-based service, I don't think, would succeed if it was applied to Power 5 teams. It's so big, you lose the ability to have advertising dollars would go down, I would feel like, because there would be less viewership. The viewership is there for the, for the Power 5 games, and the advertising dollars support that, and that's where all of that money with those TV deals and whatnot goes to these universities. But for the Group of Five, the viewership isn't there, so the way that they have found a way to subsidize, for lack of a better word, is to create a subscription service because they know it is a niche audience. They know that they have a select, rabid group of fans that support those schools that really want to watch those teams' games, and so they've created a subscription service for people to be able to go and watch Watch those games digitally. Guess what? Auburn basketball played one of those teams this past Monday. Auburn fans had to go and get ESPN Plus if they wanted to go and watch that basketball game when they played UCF on Monday night. So, and guess what? I know several Auburn fans that went and did that. That was ESPN bringing in money for a niche basketball game. UCF does not, UCF basketball does not have a huge following. UCF football has a decent sized following because of how big the university is. They are one of the most populated attendances in the entire country for a university. They have one of the largest student bodies in the entire, in the, in the entire country. But ESPN has capitalized off of that. 
And so uh, we, we've kind of gone all over the place with this, but I, I think it's interesting to talk about. I don't know if we'll ever see the structure change. Do you? Do you think that we'll ever see a change? Because I don't think it, I don't think it will. I actually, I, I think people like it the way it is. No, I, th- I think we're really close to it. And really? I think when you start to see how much, how little credibility that the NCAA has when it comes to enforcing rules and punishing teams, uh, I think that this is much closer to happening than a lot of people think it is. It will be one of those things that is underreported on because people don't want to give it a lot of momentum. But when you start getting groups in with these SEC commissioners and their athletics directors who realize that they are they're giving a hundred million dollars to group of five schools when the group of five schools are probably only generating what you know twenty million dollars revenue. But I'm just saying that they're not creating a hundred million dollars in revenue. Why are we giving them a hundred million dollars? That will be the question that people want answered. And then you will have a full $450, $500 million coming back to these larger universities. It is the rich get richer scenario, but they are the ones floating college football right now. And I hate to tell a lot of people if the other if the other 500 college football programs didn't exist, I know a lot of kids would be sad because they wouldn't be playing college football, but the majority of the world wouldn't care. That's just the truth. You know, and since we talked about the FCS moving to the spring and how much excitement that that could actually generate for the FCS because people just don't have the time to keep up with FCS football. Like people just don't have the time. But I think if they did have the time, like if it was separate from the regular football season of the fall and they played in the spring, I think people would keep up with it because it fills a void in their life of not having football in the spring. And so the group of five could capitalize on this and move into the spring. No, listen, they would get more eyeballs. Don't get me wrong, but When's the last time you cared about a Troy game? I have I've had friends that played at Troy, and yeah, I'll turn the game on to see how they're oh, doing. Never, but I could not care never. less if Troy wins this Saturday or not, or if South Alabama wins this Saturday or not, or if UNA or JSU. I don't care. Right. I don't know, and the majority of the world doesn't care. That's why the revenue dollars are coming in for the Power Five teams. And I'm just suggesting the Group of Five would benefit if they moved into the spring. Yes. In this scenario, because they would get more eyeballs, I think it would. It, it's, it's exactly what the XFL did, and there's a reason. I mean, just standard sports economics. You don't want to compete with the major leagues. You you just absolutely don't. I mean, college football does well against the NFL and vice versa, but the NFL is still college football's daddy. Let's just be real. And in the United States, the NFL is still the big dog. On the other side of this break, we'll talk about the state of the Auburn football program. Tigers lost a big commitment this week. Armani Goodwin decommitting from Auburn puts Auburn pretty low in the rankings. You'd be shocked at how bad it looks right now in recruiting. Auburn got smacked in the iron ball. Morale feels like it's at an all-time low. Jeremy will pick at it. I'll try and defend it here on On the Line. You're listening to On the Line with Noah Gardner and Jeremy Law. We'll be right back. You're on the line. Now, Noah Gardner and Jeremy Law. 
back on On the Line. Noah Gardner, Jeremy Law with you on AU100, Kicks 96.3, and Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll have speed round coming up shortly, but first let's talk about the state of the Auburn football program right now. And me and you were talking off air just a second ago, and you told me I'm not going to skate past this Iron Bowl smackdown, and here it is. I mean, I'll serve it up to you right away, and I didn't expect it to go any other way, so I, I can't defend anything. It was horrible. I was stewing about it all day, and I don't know why, because I was sitting there with my family watching. I don't know why I was getting so upset while I was watching it. I mean, I expected every bit of what happened to occur, but something about that Iron Bowl loss Feels like it was the worst loss in the Gus Malzahn tenure, at least in Iron Bowls, but it's something about it felt hopeless. Yeah, it was probably the closest thing to 2012 that could ever probably happen again. You're just not going to shut teams out in SEC play very often. I mean, at the end of the third quarter, you're talking about Auburn had 230 yards that they just really weren't competing. yeah, a lot of these ESPN guys, Cole Cubit being one, was talking about a, some a few of the guys on defense just turned down a lot of hits. They really didn't want to play in this game. Um, I don't know what for Auburn fans to think. I just hate that when it's like this, Auburn fans like you sit on their couch and say, you just kick back and you relax because you expect it. I didn't Almost. kick back and relax. I was angry. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, but you sit there and say, I, I expected it to happen. I don't know why I'm mad. Like, I just want y'all to lose in a fashion one time where it's like, I don't want you to be able to turn the turn the TV off in the third quarter and say, well, we'll just lose this one and we'll talk about next year. Next I didn't year. turn it off. I watched it to the very so, last second. So you watched it to the very last very second. Very last I, second. Okay. What were your major takeaways? Don't talk about the the scoreboard. What is it about Auburn's offense that just can't get clicking? I know you had two tackles down and Tank Bigsby was banged up, but we're really talking about outside of one Iron Bowl under Gus Malzahn. The offense has really, really just been bad almost every single time. It's a conglomeration of issues. Conglomeration. It's, a, it's an assortment, a consortium. Just put it all together. It, 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 football is the ultimate team game. You'll you'll hear football guys say that. Like that is there there is some variation of football is the ultimate team game when somebody talks about football and they're a big football guy, right? And it's it's true to a degree. Like I think there are other sports where you need everybody to be on the same same page. I, I would I would say basketball is a very close, very close like one A one B situation as far as ultimate team game and baseball's right there behind them probably is the second as far as team games are concerned where everybody has to be on the same page but in football for things to work out every single person has to do their job and there are too many times that the Auburn offense somebody it could just be one guy who doesn't do their job and it racks the play And granted, when you look at the two rosters and how the two teams have played this year, Alabama beat Auburn at every single position when you line up. They did. That's just plain and simple. And so every single play, you're going to bet that somebody is not going to achieve their job for Auburn football. So I think that has a little bit to do with it. Sometimes it's the quarterback not doing his job. Sometimes it's the offensive line. Sometimes running back makes a bad decision. Sometimes the receivers drop a pass. I mean, Seth Williams has an egregious amount of drops in his Auburn career. I mean, he has got first-round level intangibles with his ability to moss somebody, but he's got 
undrafted to seventh round hands sometimes with his ability to just drop the football, and it just doesn't make sense. Seth Williams is an anomaly, or maybe just a paradox, I should say, and I know I'm just picking little things here and there, but that's the thing. When you look at Auburn's offense, it's really hard to throw the dart at one thing and say, yeah, that's their fault. Sometimes it's play calling. Sometimes it goes to the coaching staff. And you're like, why did you make that decision? There was a key third down situation for Auburn at the end of the first half. Tigers are driving. They're getting inside Alabama's side of the field for one of the first times in the, uh, of the entire ball game. They're driving the ball down the field. They need to pick up a third down here to keep the drive going if Auburn scores. At halftime, it looks a little bit more respectable. 21 to 10, though, still probably out of hand for an Auburn defense that was not going to stop Alabama on Saturday. But at least 21 to 10 is is more respectable than 21 to 3, right? And guess what Auburn does on that third down? Auburn rolls, rolls Bonex across his body, cuts the field in half. It is my least favorite play call in the entire Gus Malzahn playbook or any offensive coordinator's playbook who decides to do that. The rollout pass that cuts the field in half and then forces the quarterback to choose between one or two receivers that are that are just running the same route that are at staggered levels. One maybe five yards, the other one maybe ten. But it cuts the field in half and it's so easy to defend because there's such a small window. By the time the quarterback gets to the... Like, you've got three seconds by the time the quarterback gets to the sideline. And if the route has not opened up by that point, I mean, you've, given, you've let DBs off the hook. You have let DBs off the hook. They only have to be in coverage for three seconds, sometimes less. It is... Is the worst play call in the game next to the fade route. And Seth Williams has made Auburn fans probably appreciate the fade route because of his ability to convert those. But I'd be willing to bet the fade route in college football probably has the same efficacy as a corner kick in soccer. I, I really I really think so. That it, yeah, it is it's one of the most overused, inefficient play calls in the game. And then on that third down, and then I'll shut up. Bo Nix rolling across his body, making it worse. And it... And, and, mind blown. Yeah, I, th- I thought Gus was struggling to figure out what could work against the Alabama defense. I know the pass rush was getting there. Alabama got success with five early in the game, which probably threw off some some uh, tendencies for Alabama because they really still don't get a lot of pressure on the quarterback. And when they were able to sit back with six and get pressure with five, uh, you know, it was, it was going to be a long day for that Auburn offense. I think you could probably tell after that first drive when they got the sack on third down. But where do things stand on the planes? Where so many people are up in the air right now about Malzahn. He still has a, a, a humongous buyout. Noah, you've been on the Gus bus. You said you weren't jumping off the Gus bus. But when I look at this, when I look at the state of Auburn athletics right now, they have not recruited well over the last two recruiting classes. Looks like you're about to get a a third, and this one will probably be the worst out of the last three if things continue to trend downward, especially towards early signing day, which is coming up in a week, a week and a half. Well, now Auburn's starting to lose recruits, right? Like in the past, we haven't seen Auburn really lose recruits from losing games like this. But now, like a high-profile recruit, and of course, there have been flips, right? I mean, TJ Yeldon did come to Auburn, George Pickens last year. I mean, there have been guys that flip. That happens. George Pickens just, now that he's at Georgia, doesn't even seem like he's a fit like at, at, at Auburn, or at least yeah. in Auburn's culture of their program. But when you talk about Armani Goodwin, a guy who's been like 
really gung ho Auburn all the way through his recruitment. Your first, one of your first commits, right? And he, I mean, he's been super gung ho. And now all of a sudden, like a couple of days after Auburn gets blown out in the Iron Bowl, Alabama's probably going to be in his top three, if if I'm not mistaken. And Alabama does have an offer on the table for him. Like you start to draw correlations between like, well, it has to do with Auburn's results. It has to. And morale's, it, it kind of feels like morale's low on the planes. And you're right. I mean, anytime Auburn loses a football game, somebody's griping. And sometimes it's fair. Sometimes it's foul. I think right now it's fair. I really do. And I understand people's frustrations. There's no way to defend the product. Auburn should not be a 24-point under, underdog to anybody in college football. I don't care how good that Alabama football team is. I understand a double-digit underdog to to that Alabama football team, regardless of how good your team is. I get that. But it shouldn't be 24 points, right? Like, 24 points is, like, the type of line that you give to a good football team over, like, a group of five team. And in yeah. that rivalry game, for it to be 24 points, that is just utter disrespect. And they covered Auburn didn't really put up a fight in that game. And there's, you know, sectors of the Auburn fan base right now who may have turned the radio off on me because, you know, they don't want people to be negative. Those are the sunshine pumpers. And then there's some realists and then there's some pessimists out there. And there are many different sectors of the fan base with all of their own individual opinions about Gus Malzahn. And I won't get into that. All I'll say is I understand people's frustration about it because it's year eight. And this is what the program looks like. And now you've got guys decommitting and high-profile guys that you need to be coming. Now, granted, Tate Bigsby's a, a stud at, at running back right now for Auburn. He's a freshman. He's going to be here for at least another two years, probably three years. I think he's a four-year guy at Auburn. Maybe Armani Goodwin saw the writing on the wall there and was like, hey, I mean, DJ Williams is there on the depth chart. Mark Anthony Richards had a good game in the Iron Bowl. Maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. But it certainly feels like results have – played a factor in not only morale, but also in recruiting. Because Auburn's sitting at 40th overall in recruiting, according to 24-7 Sports Composite Team Rankings. 40th. That's 11th in the SEC. 11th. And I think Auburn... in the West? What? Sixth in the West, right? I don't know. I haven't looked into just the West. But 11th is just bad enough. Like, I mean, I don't even need to know what it is in the West. All I have to know is that it's 11th in the SEC. And I think it's salvageable. I, I don't think Auburn will finish that low. And I think Auburn will get in the top 25 because guys will commit. And I think some guys are holding on to their commitments a little bit later than normal this year because of the coronavirus affecting guys being able to get on campus. I think there are fewer and fewer guys committing around the country. Let's just be real. Unless you're ten- Tennessee and North Carolina who just jumped out the gates with like 20 guys right off the bat, right? But like, I think most guys out there are holding on to their commitments. Some guys decommitting right now, but... Auburn's recruiting is in a, is not going to be better than what it's been over the last two years. And also talking about Malzahn, and recruiting is also a mixed bag with people's perceptions about it. Auburn, by default, is going to get four stars to come to their program. Agree? Like, can we agree on that? Like, Auburn, by default, is going to get good recruits to come there. Just like, you don't have to do anything. Like, it is a top 15 program in college football, right? Just as far as perception is concerned. I would still say it's top 15. Right. And, I, and I'm not it's saying that it's getting worse. It's getting worse by the year when Gus is here. I'm being serious. Like he is this, this program is going downhill and I'm trying to figure out how Auburn can get out of it. And I don't really see a lot of ways because of how big the buyout is. I'm just saying by perception of like the university shows up to your door and says, Hey, you want to come play football for us? Right? Like whatever head coaches at Auburn, whether it's Tuberville, Chiswick, Malzahn, whether it's anybody, at the end of the day, you are going to have you're going to be in the running for high four stars 
and your mid and low four stars. You're, you're going to be the running for any of these four star recruits out there. I don't think Malzahn is actually adding anything to recruiting. I don't think he is. When I evaluate coaches, I, I'm like, okay, what are you adding? Are you are you doing anything more than what average would be considered? And right now, Malzahn's just straight on average. Right on. I mean, he's like Honey Nut Cheerios. I mean, you you know what you're getting every year, and if you're okay with that, fine. That that's what you have to make a decision on if you're a fan. And if you are okay with it, then quit griping on Saturdays. If you if you're good with eight nine wins every year, and then a and then a SEC championship opportunity every four years because that's the type of development curve that Auburn is on right now it takes four years for Auburn to accrue every four years Auburn will accrue a team that can compete for the SEC West crown like I think Auburn was in at least contention for it last year only lost by seven to Georgia they did beat Alabama only lost by nine to LSU like last year was that year and Auburn missed it Auburn may be back on the four-year cycle again right and so I'm trying to figure out what Gus Malzahn adds to the program and I'm having a hard time finding it. For the long, I mean, I, I've defended it all year long, and I'm not saying that people should get off the Gus bus. I'm just still trying to figure out what Malzahn adds to this program right now. And if anything, with the way that recruiting is sliding and some of the results that are occurring with his morale as being as low as it is, it, it, it kind of feels like things are being, that it's underperforming at this point, at least because it's year eight. Like, I don't know how you can def- – when someone taps, tags this on, it's like, oh, this is year eight. You kind of have a hard time defending it at that point, right? Like there, there can't be excuses after two full recruiting cycles have came through. Yeah, and and it's not. I don't think it's just recruiting. It's just they haven't when they've had chances to take advantage of the big one, like in twenty, I guess twenty seventeen. They beat Alabama and Georgia in the regular season. They have a chance to go to the college football playoff. Completely fall off at the end of the year. So you go from rolling into the next season feeling like you're a national championship contender to you lose your last two ball games to UCF and Georgia you don't fare well in either one of those games and I don't know it just feels like the vibe around the program in the last from August to right now it feels like two different football programs I'll say this though you better you absolutely better know who you're going after if you do decide to move on you're 100% and, right. And I think that there are some good names out there, but I, I just wonder if they're culturally a fit. And I hate the fact that I have to say I wonder if they're culturally a fit because I'm saying go outside the Southeast. You know, I've, I've mentioned Matt Campbell's name many times on this show about how high I think of that guy as a coach, not only schematically what he does, but also like how he teaches his guys to do things. Like there's a culture inside the Iowa State program to do things the right way. And I'm not talking about, like, not cheating. I'm talking about, like, don't drop passes. You know, everybody do your job and play hard. And when they do that, that's when they are able to play past their recruiting rankings. They, they recruit, like, 55th in the country almost every year, right? And this guy's going to the Big 12 title game and has beaten Oklahoma two out of the last three years. Just beat Texas. And the thing is, I'm watching the Iowa State-Texas game. You know, I'm being told that this is, you know, that all throughout the week in Iowa State country, that this is the biggest game in Iowa State history. That that's how they viewed that game. And guess what? They found a way to win the big one. And they didn't do it pretty, but they found a way to win the big one. You got to look at the recruits they have versus the guys they're playing against. And he's getting more out of his guys than any other team in the Big 12. So, like, I'm a big Matt Campbell guy. Brent Venables, one day maybe we'll leave Clemson. Who knows? He's like Kirby Smart to me, waiting for that job to open up for him to take. And it could be at Clemson if Dabo were to leave. But 
We got to move on to the show. Speed Round presented by the Brown Insurance Agency. Life is coming at you fast, just like Speed Round. Make sure you and your family are in good hands by allowing Lance Brown to be a part of your team. He'll make sure that you understand your policy and that you're fully protected. Call Lance Brown Allstate at 334-758-0088 or visit at 3051 Frederick Road in Opelika. Jeremy Samuels at Always. We've got five questions for us this week. You ready to run through them? Ready to go. Question number one. Should there be a requirement of games for Ohio State to make the college football playoff? If so, how many? I just think it needs to be comparative to what all the other teams that are going to get in the college football playoff can do. I like what Kirk Herbstreet said, and he is a he's not a he's not an Ohio State homer, but he is an Ohio State quarterback. And he said, if you're just going to look at the roster and say, well, Ohio State clearly has one of the best four teams. And if you did that, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and just find a fourth team to throw in every single year because those are the three schools that are always going to have the best teams on paper. And you can't judge Ohio State on paper. I think that they should at least have to, what if they go this week, they're going to play Michigan State today. They'll play Michigan next week. I mean, that Michigan game hanging up in the air right now. If that one's not played, they're going to have to change the rules. They're going to have to get in the Big Ten championship game. I think at least seven to make it. You can't tell me that they play six games, they win the Big Ten championship game, and they're in. And then the last couple in, in the years past, right here in the very recent past, they've had a week eight loss to like Iowa and then a uh, week nine loss to Purdue, and they lost those games by 20 points. I mean, like you just can't tell me because they went 6-0 and that they're deserving to get in when they only have a win versus Indiana. Like that's your win. I just think it's cute that everybody expects them to go undefeated. These guys only beat Indiana by seven, and Indiana's good, and I hate the fact that Michael Penix Jr. is out now, their quarterback, and he's out for the rest of the year. I hate that for Indiana. Best year in recent program history, if not ever, and now they get their quarterback hurt. But Ohio State, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. You look at this Michigan State team, they just beat Northwestern. And mm-hmm. I felt like they controlled the game. Now, Michigan State's sitting at like two and three on the year, and I, they're still not as talented as Ohio State. But I just find it interesting. It's kind of cute that everybody thinks Ohio State's just going to run away with it. I, I wouldn't say that for a fact. I could see Wisconsin beating them. I could see Northwestern beating them. I could see yep. any of these teams beating them in the Big Ten. So, and Ohio State losing would make this college football playoff wild. I think we'd get some fun teams in. I think A&M gets in if that's the scenario. If if Florida doesn't win the SEC title game. I think Notre Dame yeah. could get in. You you could see the ACC-SEC challenge in the college football playoff yep. this year. Absolutely. Dude, yeah, I mean, and I think that would be fun. Question number two, what are the qualities you're looking for in the next Vanderbilt coach? I think that this is a, one of the more fun jobs in college football because if you succeed, you are beloved, right? I mean, everybody kind of wants Vanderbilt to succeed, so who should the Commodores go after based on some of those criteria that you'll list off? You know, when they had Jordan Rodgers and they had uh, James Franklin and they were running the spread when everybody wasn't doing it, it was successful. I'm not so sure what that offense is now. We've seen Georgia Tech try to run the option, and I think they won eight games under Paul Johnson once. I Ooh, mean, Paul Johnson. Okay, now that is a name maybe. But is like P- Peter Burns is on SEC Network saying that this is a top five SEC job. Okay. How? Out. There's no, it's, it's, you know what number it is? It's number 14. Yeah, it's it the hardest the job, job in the SEC. It's the hardest job. It's the worst job. And just, there's tons of great cities to live in. I understand Nashville's one of them. And it's probably more fun than Tuscaloosa and Auburn. I get it. But 
it's not even close to being one of those jobs. Characteristics, you're going to have to have a young guy who's innovative, works well with his players, and he's can uh, recruit. My tough nose, but can also keep guys within a hundred mile radius. The ones that go to Tennessee go to Tennessee. The rest of them got to stay. They got less of them have to go to Vanderbilt, or you're going to be in a lot of trouble. I've tried to figure out like schematically what would be the best bet for Vanderbilt. Like, should they go to the spread because they're not really running the spread right now? They're they're very like hard nosed, still under center. It's got more pro style tendencies than spreading teams out. Kind of wondered if they should kind of go more to the spread, try to open things up a little bit because the spread could be the great equalizer. It's like the three point shot in basketball. You could be a great three point shooting team and run through March Madness, even though you're you're less talented. That's why we've seen so many Ivy League teams go on runs like Cornell, Yale's been Yale's had some pretty good tournament runs. Harvard as well. Those teams can shoot the three ball always great. But I've also wondered like is the Derek Mason route the way to go to? And, and even under James Franklin, like Vanderbilt had a good defense. And by James Franklin and, and Derek Mason route, I mean like do they have good defenses? And, and is that the hallmark of it? And I think there's got to be a fundamental element. And as soon as you said Paul Johnson, that light bulb just blew up in my brain because that guy should be in college football somewhere. I know things just kind of ended sour at Georgia Tech, but he was a solid Georgia Tech head coach and got the most out of a similar style program. Academics are a big deal at Vanderbilt, and it hinders your recruiting. So you kind of have to find a, a style that can equalize for you, and the option is a style that can equalize for you. So Paul Johnson would be an interesting bet. I've seen some some places mention Jeff Fisher, former disgraced, you know, NFL head coach who's not looking for a job. I shouldn't say disgrace, but, you know, he's definitely not anybody's top choice in the NFL anymore. You're shaking your head. Why no Jeff Fisher? I mean, come on. You're going from coaching the Tennessee Titans to coaching Coaching the the Vanderbilt Commodores. Vanderbilt Commodores now. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Well, he needs a job. He's actually not going from coaching the Tennessee Titans. He's going from not coaching Coaching to coaching. Yeah, Yeah. but he'd be going from Tennessee to the Rams to coaching the Vanderbilt Commodores. Come on. Question number three, what has been your takeaway from Alabama basketball after seeing them in the Maui Invitational? They went 2-1 and one after losing in the in the opener to Stanford, which was not close. They did come out and went two straight over good basketball teams. UNLV and Providence, is no, they're no slouch. Uh, it's it's their style of play. It's, it's Auburn's style of play last year. You saw it a few times. If you're not knocking down shots, you're going to get beat, especially if the other team is. And um, when you don't play great defense, Alabama's defense improved over the last two games in the Maui. But if the other team's knocking down shots and you're, you can't find the three ball like Alabama did in that Stanford game, uh, you have a chance to get your butt handed to you. And they did. I thought they – Alabama's main problem under Nate Oates, Noah, has been if they're, not hitting, if they're not hitting shots on offense, the energy lacks on defense. They have to find buckets to be able to play defense. And that's still not a recipe – for winning the SEC or making a somewhat winning a couple games in the tournament because if you're relying on you making shots to to help you play better defense then um when the team comes out and makes some shots on you you're going to give up some big runs and I don't really don't like that about this team but I'm still impressed what they were able to do versus UNLV and especially Providence who's probably the second or third best team in the Big East what I'm taking away from it is Alabama's getting better they bounce back from the loss, right? And, and Providence and UNLV are good basketball programs, very well-known basketball programs in the college basketball universe. I'm taking it as they're getting better. Now, there are still some some concerns down low. I, I, I think Alabama's probably their, their biggest area that they're lacking is in the post with rebounding efforts and being able to score down low. But Auburn basketball had those issues too when they went on their Final Four run, and they 
you know, shot their way through the NCAA tournament. Talk about a team, you know, three-pointer, the great equalizer. You can you can shoot your way through an NCAA tournament, and I, I don't think post play is necessarily going to hold back Alabama this year. Defense could, but that that's always a common a common denominator for great shooting teams that then when they're not shooting the basketball well, it doesn't translate well to defense. The SEC looks competitive this year at the top right now. That brings me to our last question here. What's been your takeaway for Auburn basketball after their early season struggles? Because they do not look like they're a part of that top portion of the SEC. They really feel like they're at the bottom of the middle of the pack, if not at the bottom of the conference. Not at 14th, but definitely part of that bottom four. Yeah, it wasn't a great start to the season, right? Um, Game number one, you felt like you probably should have built some momentum going into Gonzaga. Listen, Gonzaga is going to blow out a lot of teams, so don't put a lot of stock into that. But you do get a chance to turn around and beat UCF, have a chance to beat to win that game. I expected Auburn to lose it. that game. To UCF? Yeah, I expected Auburn to lose that game. Auburn's non-conference schedule is really tough. Like, UCF's no, been in the tournament recently. No, I, I'm, I'm saying, like, I'm not disagreeing with you here. Like, Auburn basketball is at a tough place. I, I Me saying that I expected Auburn to lose that game is not more – about UCF being good. It's about Auburn, I think, playing poor basketball right now. They're lacking a point guard named Sharif Cooper, and they need him. They need him bad because guys are playing out of position. Bruce Pearl's already talking about shifting the starting lineup. Bruce Pearl never shifts his starting lineups. Like, it's rare. He did, like, of all these years that he's been in Auburn, I do not remember the starting lineup shifting that often unless a guy was suspended or a guy was hurt. It does not happen that often. And now, after two games, after three games, he's already talking about moving some guys around, and I think that needs to happen. I, I Turbo Jones should not be in the starting five. Justin Powell needs to move to point guard and play 30 minutes a ball game right now because there's just there's a whole lot of issues. Communication, defense doesn't look great. Basketball IQ is really, really low. I mean, Auburn, Auburn basketball not making great decisions. I'm, it all comes down to what happens with the NCAA, if that can happen in the next year, because then you can map out a future, right, because you know where you're going from here. And we talked about that on our last show, about what happens to Auburn basketball, but it all happens with what what's going on with the NCAA, right? Yeah, we're still early in the season. I don't think anybody should put a lot of stock into what's happened. I mean, what? look at Kentucky. They lose to Richmond, and they turn around and get a massive win. I mean, Kentucky has something it, to play for, though. Auburn doesn't. Yeah, listen, but yeah, now you're right. Auburn doesn't have anything to play for this year. That's tough to get motivated for. But if you're Auburn, expect it this year. Try to bounce back next year. But they're still going to have they're still going to have an opportunity to win some big games and play spoiler this year. My advice to Auburn fans before we close out speed round, my advice to Auburn fans is get excited when they win a, when they win a good game. Enjoy it. Enjoy the wins. Because they, not saying that they're going to be far and few between. I don't think this Auburn team is going to be abysmal. You can see the talent. If you've watched them through these first three games, you can see that there is individual talent. They've yet to gel together as a team. Once the team clicks, they're going to be fun. I think they're missing something to bring them together. I think they're missing the glue. I think they're missing the gravity to bring this team down to earth. I think they're missing Sharif Cooper, and they need that point guard. And they may not get him this year. He may not play at Auburn ever at all. We know he's waiting in the wings on the side to get cleared to come and play some ball, and it's just not, it hasn't happened right now. But my advice to Auburn fans is don't get too down with the losses. Really enjoy the wins and just understand that – this team's going to be going through some growing pains. Enjoy the fact that you've got some talented guys on the roster and more watch this team to see if they're improving. 
I understand a frustration sets in if guys aren't improving or if individual talent isn't isn't showing progression. But just understand the talent's there for this team to be really good next year, for this team to be a top 10 team next year, I think, is how good Auburn could be with the recruiting class coming in. I mean, when you bring a, a top 10 recruit to a program and it, it instantly projects them into that category, especially when you've recruited as well as Auburn has. So people should be excited about the future, but cautiously excited because I know the NCAA is around the corner. On the other side of this break, we've got game picks coming your way here on On the Line. You're listening to On the Line with Noah Gardner and Jeremy Law. We'll be right back. You're on the line. Now, Noah Gardner and Jeremy Law. Noah Gardner, Jeremy Law here with you on On the Line on AU100, Kicks 96.3 and Fox Sports Central Alabama or On Demand on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Jeremy, we've got a lot of games to get through in a short amount of time. We've got 10 minutes left in the show, 11 games so we need to get through these pretty quickly. I fell behind even more. I, I picked differently than you in one game last week, trying to equalize it. Mississippi State could not pull it out in the egg ball, but they played hard. 70-31 overall record for myself, 72-29 and 29 record for you. We've still got two or three weeks left to pick some games, and then bowl season. We'll have a little razzle-dazzle to it if we can even get a bowl season. But here we go, 11 games here, and we'll start it off. Number five, Texas A&M at Auburn coming up at 11 a.m. on ESPN right around the corner. A&M struggled last week. Oh, man, I, I don't know what happened to them. Kellen Mond looked like the Kellen Mond of old. I don't know what to think about A&M, but I just don't think that this Auburn team still banged up can beat a top caliber team in the country like Texas A&M. Give me the Aggies, although I don't have a lot of faith in them right now. This feels like... I've talked like I even am optimistic going into this game, and I've talked to a lot of Auburn fans who are optimistic about this game, despite the low morale towards Gus Malzahn. And it's just because Auburn's had great fortune against Texas A&M in recent years. Games at home, you feel like Bo Nix plays great at home, but I've seen some stats recently that have said the discrepancy isn't really Bo Nix at home versus Bo Nix on the road. It's Bo Nix versus good team versus Bo Nix versus bad team, and Bo Nix versus good team is bad for Bo Nix. And so I'm going to be with you. I'm going to take Texas A&M in this one, even though I got to try and make up some ground. And this might have been one of the few games that we would have picked differently. But I'm going with A&M because I I just don't think Bo Nix has it against good teams. I don't. Maybe he'll develop to that point because you can see some intangibles with him, but he does not have it against the good teams. And A&M is a good team. I think A&M wins this one. Texas at Kansas State, 11 a.m. Fox. Ooh, tricky one, right? Everything's tw- trending down at Texas right now, and at Kansas I think State. That- yeah, but I think that yeah, but for for Texas, I think that this is a bounce back game. People will get off Tom Herman a little bit after this one. Give me the Longhorns. I'll pick the same as you. I'm not I'm not gonna put my record further on the line. But Texas, I I think Kansas State with the fact that they've slid. I think they were like four and three at one point, maybe even four and two. And now they're all the way at four and five. And I think this slide really is more of an indication that just thinks the wheels have kind of fallen off. They were competitive early, even possibly a a Big 12 title team, but Texas is is definitely more in the in the equation than they are, especially with the fact that they controlled for the majority of the game against Iowa State, but Iowa State finding their way back and winning it. Game number three here, Arkansas at Missouri, 11 a.m. SEC Network. As much as I've been on the Arkansas bandwagon all year, this Missouri team, these are the two surprise teams in each division. They're I mean, the exact same team, just vice versa. 
where is this one at? Is it at Missouri? It's at Missouri. Yeah, give me Missouri in this one. I really like how they've played. I know Drinkwitz has been getting a lot of pub this week. Um, Arkansas is still a really good team. I would not be surprised if they won this game. Arkansas forces turnovers, and right now Missouri's got a freshman QB in there who's prone to make mistakes. Missouri has looked good. I'm going to take Arkansas on this one. They're the exact same team, and I like this Arkansas squad for their opportunistic defense, and they're still playing hard. Felipe Franks, better quarterback than Connor Bazelak. I'm going to take Arkansas on this one. Number six, Florida at Tennessee, 2.30 p.m. CBS. Can I pick this game for us, Florida? Yeah, go ahead. Florida's going to win it. Easy. Blowout. Tennessee, talk about a team that had the wheels fall off. West Virginia at number nine, Iowa State, 2.30 p.m. ESPN. I like Iowa State to keep it going. I know, um, man, they have been such a surprise this year. Got a chance to win a Big 12 championship. I like Iowa State. It feels like this could be a letdown game. Like I, West Virginia's no joke. They're still pretty good in the Big Twelve. I mean, they're a middle of the pack team this year, but still, they've given some tough. They've given some tough opposition to some of the better teams in this league. And Iowa State's talent wise is not one of the better teams in this league. They just get the job done because they do things the right way. And I think doing things the right way at home, they know that this young, not young, this team, this type of team that does not recruit great and is not used to this stage, also I think understands the levity of it on a week-to-week basis. So I think they'll get it done as well. I think they'll take on West Virginia and they'll pull it out. 2.30 p.m. ESPN, that'll be what channel that one's on. Ranked on ranked matchup here, number 12, Indiana at number 16, Wisconsin, 2.30 p.m. ABC. Is Indiana's quarterback still out? He's he done, is, he's right? out for the rest of the year. You have to go Man, Wisconsin, right? Yeah, I think I have to go Wisconsin on this one. I really still never thought Indiana was a great team. I know they hung in there with Ohio State, but if I told you to pick Alabama versus Indiana, you'd say blowout. Florida, Indiana, you'd say that Florida would probably win by 10+. plus. Clemson, Notre Dame, you take all those schools, um, maybe by 10 or more points in all of those. I'm just not, still not sure about Indiana with the quarterback. I'm definitely taking Wisconsin without the quarterback. Same. I agree with everything that you said there. So we'll we'll go both number 16, Wisconsin. Number 13, BYU at number 18, Coastal Carolina, 4.30 p.m. ESPNU. It was originally going to be Liberty right there for Coastal. They switch it out, and we're getting a little spicy on the show. I I know you got to grin because you're like, I have not watched these guys one second this year. No, I actually have watched them because every time they've been on a game, in 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 a game that's decent, I mean, they've been on television. And BYU's been fun to watch. Coastal Carolina still sitting right here. Um, they're trying to schedule these games to beef up that strength of schedule going down the stretch because there still could be a lot of chaos coming up. BYU going across the country to to South Carolina. I mean, I, I like BYU. BYU, you get a real man. Thirty years ago, BYU was one of the top name brands in college football, and that kind of the conference realignments and everything has left them out. But I like BYU. They got a good team out there, and they've got a and they've got a great quarterback. Yeah. I'm going to go with Coastal in this one at home. Oh. I like what Chadwell's doing right now. I mean, they're undefeated as well. He's he's like the Matt Campbell of the Group of Five schools, like and, and also from the FCS level. Like he's won everywhere he's been, and he's slowly built up those programs. And I think Coastal at home is going to come ready to play. There's also something about playing on that turquoise field or teal yeah. field or whatever yeah. color oh, they want to call it. It's a it's harder to watch a football game on than Boise State. Like all of these teams that like do that color field thing, Eastern Washington does all red. That one yeah. will make you go blind. Eastern Michigan plays on all gray, making you think you're colorblind after you've watched an watched an Eastern Washington football game. And then this team, 
it, I, I don't even know what I'm looking at when I see it on the t- It looks gross, and I think it's going to be hard to play on for BYU. And yeah, I don't, I, do they be. even play Boise State this year? Like, that would be their only experience with something this atrocious. But I'll, I'll take Coastal to win it at home. I do want to make a side note about this before we get moving. I do not want to see a huge bump for either of these teams for winning this ball game. And my reasoning for that is the college football playoff obviously has no weight for these teams. 18 exactly. Coastal Carolina, 13 BYU. Just it's a paradox to say that they're going to beat the that just because they beat the other team that the college football playoff obviously doesn't value that they all of a sudden get bumped in the top 10. Like no way. Don't want to see that. They got to beat somebody in a power conference for me to get on board. Number 3 Clemson at Virginia Tech, 6:30 p.m. ABC. Clemson big. Yeah, I mean, the only reason why I'm picking this game is because finally Clemson's playing a team that at least has a little bit of a name value in their league, but Clemson as well. Yeah, I'll take that one. Number one, Alabama at LSU, 7 p.m. CBS. This is your chance. Take the spotlight. It's been a long time coming, and I'm not – I know – we got to realize throughout Alabama's history and, and Nick, Sab- Nick Saban's tenure there, he hasn't really ran the score up on anybody. It's usually – you know, if we have 40 in the third quarter, to me, that's not running it up. He might run it up on LSU this week. You got to realize they came out of the locker room at midfield, broke it down on the midfield logo. You had the locker room stunt that ended up on Instagram. A lot of trash talking from Ed Orgeron, who I think he is. I think he's quickly been humbled by this league because this league doesn't care about last year. I think the SEC has taught him that, that nobody in this league cares about what happened last year. Nobody is scared of you. Nobody's scared of Alabama because they won a national championship. If they win one this year, nobody's going to come out scared. Alabama, I think if they can score 70, they really might. Um, and since they put I – really, I really do think so that Alabama has a chance to get 10 touchdowns in this game and to put Ed Orgeron back in his place. And I thought that they might go conservative in this game depending on if the SEC – um, eliminated next week's game versus Arkansas. But since that one's back on the schedule, I think that you can see a full three and a half quarters of the starters in this game. And LSU's defense poses no threat, not even close to what they saw from Auburn last week. Alabama, they will score 60. Hear me out. They will score 60. Sledgehammer, meet glass pane window. That That's that, or maybe paper mache. I don't know, but... It is going to be a smackdown. Rock over scissors, all right? It is going to smash it to tiny little pieces. Alabama will beat LSU as well. I agree with that. And I think they're just going to continue on to roll to that national championship. That is it for another edition of On the Line. We'll be back next week, same time, same place. Don't go anywhere, anybody. We'll see you next week. God bless. Thanks for listening to On the Line, a product of Radio Alabama Sports. To follow the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, find Radio Alabama Sports. For more episodes and show notes, visit RadioAlabamaSports.net.